just this week, for the first time in human history, we got to hear what it was like to stand on the surface of the planet Mars. The little robot, no bigger than a car you would drive, was sent across space, millions of miles, in search for ancient life. It recorded just about 14 seconds of what you might hear on a typical day on Mars, with a little gust of wind coming from the red sands of the surface. Here, let's listen. While many of us were packed inside our homes this past summer, wondering what may be next in a seemingly never-ending series of world-changing events, there was another history being made in the books, the little rover called Perseverance was tucked inside its spacecraft home and launched for the long seven-month journey all alone to its new home and new life to explore on Mars. Seven months, almost the same amount of time, many of us have been tucked away in our own little ships, waiting to get out and see what this new world may be like. Ever since I can remember, I've always been enthralled by outer space the mystery that lies deep and far away, things we don't quite know the fullness of, and things we get to learn more about all the time. In our lives, there are so many times we find ourselves in these safe, comfortable little bubbles, protected from the outside world, where we tuck ourselves away, only having to think about the things that affect the basic needs of life, survival and safety comfort, and the familiar. As we know, there's more to life than just what's in our comfortable space. Chances are we've got a lot more in common with that little robot than we think. I'm sure as it traveled alone in the cold darkness of space, it thought a lot about what the new world would be like. Excited to see this new place, a new way of living, with new opportunities, new dreams to dream, and new meaning to a new life. Crawling out from its warm and comfortable space bubble, it would forever be changed in this new life. A life of exploring, learning, and experimenting with its new identity, its new purpose. I've been doing some similar thinking. What will this post-isolation life be like? What dreams have I dreamt? And what new purpose will I have with this new me? Have you been doing that too? One thing is for sure, we've all changed. The college days were a time when I was just beginning to discover myself. For many of my peers, this was when we were all for the first time making our own choices, seeing what worked and what didn't, and how we would find ourselves and look for who we wanted to become. Someone that stood out to me, that saw the bigger picture far beyond the stars, was my friend and fellow classmate, Joy Obadike. She was our student government president and was always around at every event, making a speech, giving some encouragement, just being a presence, eventually becoming a familiar face that made you feel at home in your life as a college kid. But like most of us, Joy was on her own little Star Trek, being put into a life of leadership. Her goals were complexed by what she began to see revealed in her own self as a black young woman coming from an immigrant family 
immersed in a very white world, she found opportunity for growth and mentorship, a pursuit in the study of science, of faith, and even the life of public service on Capitol Hill. It didn't come easy, and in fact, came with a lot of pain. There's no mistake that this little robot friend of ours, a created specimen of our own making, was named Perseverance. It takes trying over and over, failure after failure, and dream after dream, to finally reach a new place in ourselves, one that many of us have just landed on and are beginning to explore. There are over two hours of our conversation that you won't hear on this episode. After about 15 years, you have a lot to catch up on and new identities to explore together. That being said, I loved my time just in conversation this week with now Dr. Joy Obadike. Listen in and take the trip with us. You always stood out to me as when I first saw you speak, you were student government president at the time. And when I first saw you speak, I was like, oh, I want whatever that girl has. Wow. And people want me to shut up. (laughs) (laughs) And I just was like, I was just like uh, inspired and enthralled with how you carried yourself, um, the determination that you had the um, self-confidence that you had, you just like, even if you didn't know exactly where you were going, you knew where you were in your steps to get there. And I've always, I've always held you at this high, high regard. So um, I just want you to know that. I don't know if, I don't know if you ever knew that, but that's how I viewed you. No, I never know. I'm a crybaby, So I might cry a few times. Um, what have you been up to the past 15 years, Joy? Oh, boy. That's a question. Well, you know, I went broke. I, I like to tell people the truth about the process because success, I'm learning. What is that, right? What is success? I mean, you can have a million definitions. I think it's finding what you were created to do. I'm that, that hokey person. I think that everyone has something that, that they are to do and touch the world. That's success for me. And that changes every day. So this past 15 years, you talk about highs and lows. Oh, boy. So I went to to school, got a PhD, um, and I finished when the market was terrible. Mm. No job, bro. Yeah, yeah. So educated and broke. You gave me $100. Remember, like, I like telling people, oh, like, yeah. what? Because I like Tyler Perry's story. I love Oprah's story. Mm-hmm. I love Barack Obama's story. Yep. I love authentic stories because no one is just put together all the time. And that's that's full disclosure. That's the one thing I want people to really know about me. That behind the veil are, are so many pains and so many pits and so many failures and so many disappointments. But that's really shaped joy. Like, that's made me a tough, strong, first-generation Nigerian-American girl, that, that experience. Um, and that's something we didn't learn in Charleston Southern, right? It's like this greenhouse. Mm, everyone was hot off of love and skipping through life. Oh, yeah. And on our way to heaven, right? So it just, it wasn't, it, it was good for me, but it created a microcosm that was not good for me. 
because you're surrounded by people who are just like you and that's not the world is it so so i struggled when i had to go out and just be around different people i struggled joy's been finding herself the last 15 years she's been finding her voice um and everybody knows the book michelle's becoming i thought that was touching because i can relate to that you're becoming something all the time so i become a better person a better friend a better daughter a better woman of finding your core and i had some big dark struggles and and if you want we can get into those because they, it shows me that there's something bigger in this universe than us i've had some dark struggles and i share those um and i'm willing to share those because i think if people know some things about you it can lift them up and pick them up and they go wow i never knew all of those things happened um we're talking sexual assault we're talking all kinds of things that me joy over dk yeah unemployment mm. me it was me so so many things happened to yeah. shape me i wouldn't trade a thing mm. i wouldn't trade one thing well nope. that is the thing isn't it it's uh as in a as you said in a closed bubble college campus just didn't mm -hmm. exist no they didn't it was um it was your safe spot with your, your best friends that love you all the time. And then you go eat together. Then you go play Frisbee together. Then you go to this chapel service together and you experience all of life together. And it's all amazing, right? Yes. It's all amazing. Yeah. And then you step outside of that bubble and where the real world is. And then, you know, you're not prepared for that. Um, no, I, I want to talk a little bit about, so, can we go back to when you were student government president? I just want to start with that because that's really the only time, that's when I met you and that's the only time that I knew you. Can you talk to me about uh, what led you to that point? Like what was your, what were your, what were your thought processes then? What, tell me, a little, what was the snapshot in your, of your life at that moment? Um, so, you know, my father's from Nigeria. My mother is, is American. My parents divorced and I was super young. Okay, super young. So I was raised by my mom. Um, so I had lots of love, but no money, like tons of support. And I say now that was the important thing. Like when you have that level of support and confidence, you mentioned confidence. I think I could chew a bubble gum and my mom, even my dad, they, you're the best bubble gum chewer. Like, right. That that's the environment that I came up in. So my dad was present in the home, but that level of exceptionalism that you can do anything, that's how I was raised. So I, I brought that onto the scene. So I'm this little black girl from a single parent home, daughter of an immigrant. And this, this, this very white Southern Baptist school. I mean, it was nothing like anybody I knew. So sometimes you go home on the weekend with friends from school and they live in these huge gated communities. I remember this with one guy in particular, I'm like who lives in houses like these? That was just, a, you see them on television. But honestly, people who I went home with on the weekends of Charleston, that was a norm. So it kind of puts things in perspective. Like, there's you, then there are all these people that are nothing like you. So you have two choices. You either blend or you be yourself. And, and I was myself. Simply because I just couldn't blend. I, I, I Even in my worst days, I embraced who I was. Um, it's no fun trying to be someone else. And I, I never attempted to be anybody else. So I think that's what a lot of people notice when they mention things from Charleston Southern is it really was that simple. Joy was simply being who she's always been. So that wasn't, I, I came on the scene and I saw um, 
freshman senator, you have to run for elections. Scared out of my wits, man. I mean, like, the trembling scared. But I knew I wanted to do it. So we had to give little speeches in the calf. I don't know if you remember that. You had to give a speech. Yeah, yeah. Get people to vote for me. You know, life's, a, life's an election. Vote for me. Right. So I did it. I did it. I remember that day. I felt like a hurl. Like, it was <laughs> terrible. Like, oh, God, I sound so stupid. <laughs> but I won. I don't know how I got in there, but it happened. And when I became a freshman senator, the level of influence I recognized that the student government had in that campus was tremendous. And I, I remember thinking that this was nothing like my high school student government, because I did that, too, in Key Club. Shh, that's our secret, Key Club. I couldn't imagine the level of influence that students could actually have. So to me, that was a great opportunity. That was a great opportunity to listen to other students and bring their voice back to the table with people who are making these deals. Because it's just deal-making, right? It's deal-making. Um, one inspirational figure, and I tell her this all the time, Lily Gresham. I know you remember Lily. Oh, yeah. She's high school now. Yeah, right? So she was the president when I was a freshman. And the grace with which she carried herself. She never changed. She was the same person all the time. She didn't change according to the crowd. She didn't act like the rest. She was just a different specimen of a person. And I said, you know what? I want to be the president like Lily Gresham. I said that as a freshman, and I'm very serious. That's what motivated me. Lily Gresham did. She just had a way of leading, and you wanted to follow her. See, that's the leader. Mm. Managers and bosses, you got it, right? But you wanted to do what she asked of you. You wanted to follow her steps. And that's just a great leadership. Stan Parker, you know, come on, you remember Stan Demand? Oh, yes. He passed away about three years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wrote a book about him. That That's out on Amazon. It, it, was, it wasn't just me. I got stories together. So it was like a, um, the anthology to Stan Parker. Leadership um, and on that purpose. Was, yeah. Because he was, he was John Maxwell. Like, yes, if you've really spent time with Stan, and the stories in that book are very moving. I tell you, I'm a crybaby. He was my mentor from the age of 18 until he passed away. So we're talking 20 years of leading and guiding and directing a person. And he was just that guy. I also was impressed by his amazing, overwhelming knowledge with the black community. He, he, he studied, I didn't know he studied these things. And his wife, Kathy, they studied these things, African-American studies and, and rural poverty and, and education and disparities. At Charleston Southern, you didn't really meet leadership moved by disparities. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, that was just odd. Tell me more about that. I didn't know that part about what was uh, your what was your uh, yes, or what yes. what did you get out of that from him that 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 surprised you or moved you from that? He gave a talk on um he gave oh he always gave a leadership moment at the end of every SGA meeting about five minutes. And it was on something like, let's just say time management, something like that. And SGA is Student Government Association. Yes, thank you, Student Government Association. Mm -hmm. So he gave a leadership moment um, about five minutes at the end of all of our meetings. And I remember listening to him and said, huh, that can make me a a better person. I didn't say leader at the time, a better person. I like to learn that. So I sheepishly knock tiny kid from Sumter sheepishly like, sir, can I have a copy of the handout? And I remember he sat back with his mustache. You remember his mustache? Oh, yes. <laughs> he sat back in his chair. He always talked with his mustache. He just looked at me. I go, this guy's going to yell at me. He said, you like that kind of stuff? And I said, oh, yes, sir. So he invites me in. And then he says these words, would you like a mentor? I never had a mentor in my life. Wasn't quite sure what that was. So I saw the opportunity. And, and I took it. Like the quote James Brown from his movie, 
I you see an opportunity and I take it. Don't you don't even have to open the door for me. Just show me where it is. And that's just how I, I've been raised. I saw someone who could develop all the passions that I had inside, who could coach and teach me how to navigate through this very white world. Um, because I, I I didn't know how to relate to anybody at Charleston Southern. The things they talked about, I don't talk about those in my house. So it was just a very different experience and it was a positive one. I liked it. But imagine thrusting you in the middle of a 95% black rural poverty environment and say, okay, bye, Justin. And there's nobody like you. Like you just are supposed to, then people are offended by what you say. Like, who do you think you are? You're just being Justin. Mm. You bring your experiences. You bring your background. You bring your culture. You bring your family. So it's like they want you to forsake. You can't forsake that. It's your core. So having Dr. Parker really taught me how to navigate through this world without losing who I am. And in this day and age, isn't that important? <laughs> yeah, well, that that's, <laughs> that is so wonderful to hear that uh, keeping the integrity of who you are is the, is the, is the focus, the, the purpose behind that. Um, I had to. I was also very close to Stan Parker. Oh, good. Um, his his son Ryan was my roommate all through college. Oh wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, so um, Stan was not a whole lot of people knew this, but Stan to me was like a father figure. So, no, I didn't know that. Yeah, so I would, um, and I was close with his his mother too, who was also an educator, educator club. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So Ryan was, yeah. So Ryan was my roommate. So it, you know, it just, it just was part of the thing that, Oh, my dad's the <laughs> Dean of students. or something. And, um, you're right though. The lessons in, in just a, uh, a moment passing in the parking lot that you would get from Stan Parker yes. w- would be life changing. It would. It really yeah. would. I had a unique experience and I wrote an article about this, about, being a white teacher in a black community. And it's, Please it, tell me about that. What was that like? It was so, uh, I loved it. Um, oh, good. Okay. these, right. those kids for years taught me so many things about the world. Cause you, know? you were open to learning though. That's the only reason you can say they taught you something. Oh yeah. I was a sponge. Um, so anyway, getting so many issues that are, are very akin, um, to projects I'm working on now. And why I was got mm. in trouble when I taught elementary school here. If you're scared, if you're sleepy, if your mom just got beat up, if your mom sells her body to pay the bills, if and then this this um, EBT government assistance system is just slavery reincarnated because I, we need a we don't need an entitlement system. I say call it an investment system. If you make if you work forty hours a week at minimum wage, you are below the poverty level. That's stupid. Mm-hmm. So I always said the leading cause of poverty is minimum wage. So these aren't lazy buffoons. These people work hard. They work full-time jobs. And it is legal to pay a wage that you know they cannot even pay rent on. That's legal in America. And that is nauseating. It sickens me. There's a neighborhood here in Sumter. I'm not kidding you. The apartments. Justin. There's a big old sign out front that says, funded by... Sumter Housing Authority. Why is that necessary? Mm. So the children who get off the school bus, everybody's pointing and calling you the welfare kid. And you don't have it. 
why why do we demean people this way like why is that even it shows you the thinking that there isn't any thinking actually because a thoughtful person would say well why is that necessary that i tell everybody on the street that the only reason these people are here is because of of, of, of section eight and it's in the historical district right it's on west hampton avenue the all those civil war houses so they're letting you know you're only on this street because of the government like how is that even acceptable? So I, I get in trouble all the time. So I find myself at odds all the time, almost, because when something's not right, Justin, I just I can't turn my head, and it gets me in trouble. It gets me in trouble. It gets me fired all, all the oh, time. Oh, me too. When you speak up, yeah, I get fired all the time. Um, because I speak up respectfully. Yeah. But you're not supposed to say anything. You're supposed to be a good little employee, and I guess I was never any good at that. We're not supposed to speak truth. That's the problem. They want compliance. That's all they want. Well, you know, um, that reminds me of one of the schools I taught at early on in my career. Probably my, my first like half the year of teaching, I had this chorus class, and there was maybe 15 to 20 kids in there. Now, remember, this is the first time they've had chorus ever allowed to be able ah, to yeah, enroll yeah. for this. Oh, boy. And here comes, you know, and here's this uh, young white guy with glasses on. Um, <laughs> and uh, it was mostly girls, which is the case for music courses. And there was okay. one guy, maybe one or two guys. And one of the guys was really nice and he just wanted to sing. And the other guy was there for the girls. Well, of course, right? Right, which is a smart move, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> but he was not he was not about at all following rules or doing what I wanted to do or any of that. So he just wanted to kind of show off and he was talking. And so there was times when, you know, I tell him to be quiet or pay attention or, you know, whatever. Um, and he didn't like being told what to do. So one time he got up on my face, you know, in the middle of the classroom and told me he was going to see me on the street. When I first started teaching, it was very important to me to always dress the part. So I always wore a tie every day. I was always, okay. you know, I didn't, I was not them and I wasn't trying to be like them. I was yeah, good, different. Good. So, I thought it was important for me to remain consistent and yeah. whatever. So he said a remark like, I'm going to take that tie off of you too. And uh, so I thought about that that night. And the next day I came in and um, we had our class and I held him after class, and which happened a lot with him, right? So I was like, all right, stay after class. And he's like, oh, man, you know. So I brought him into my office and um, – He's like, man, what did I do? I was like, oh, nothing. I just wanted to talk to you for a minute. Um, I have something to give you. So I gave him this box. He opened it up, and inside the box was a tissue-wrapped tie that I was wearing the, the day before. Oh! And I said, he's like, what is this? And I said, well, you said you like my tie, and I have a ton of them at home. So if you want that one, you can have it. How did he respond? He, was, he didn't say anything. He was like, what? Really? For real? It's like, yeah. He's like, so I'm not in trouble? I was like, no. I just wanted to give you this. And he left. Um, later that week, he rolled up into class wearing that tie. Oh! All dressed up. You know, he usually would wearing no chains and, you know, extra large t-shirts and jeans and stuff. He changed his appearance. All the girls were all over him and stuff. And ah! I made a compliment about how he looked with this new tie. Um, he never disrespected me again. Wow. 
and um, often would come into my office to tell me about his problems he was having on the street wow. and things that he wanted to leave. And he ended up being my teaching assistant. Love Coversall, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, I also think giving opportunity for giving real opportunity for people that you don't think deserve it or don't want it. And it, see, that's what's missing though. Like, yeah, don't even get me started on that. Uh, if we had that more in education and in the world period, then we wouldn't have had a January 6th, like giving mm. opportunity, not even giving, just affording the opportunity and then telling people what the opportunity is. Sometimes you don't recognize an opportunity. They can scare you, feel like it's a setup because it's almost too good to be true. When you come from an underserved community, sometimes you don't know how to trust an opportunity. So that's why, like, kind of with the vaccine, people are going into underserved communities and educating the people because Tuskegee was a real thing. Like, we did experiment with black men and gave them syphilis and watched them die. Like, that was for real. So that kind of, they teach this in medical school, that kind of distrust in the black community. Oh, it's there. So that's why. They're like... <laughs> You can go ask one of yeah. my nanas. I ain't taking no vaccine. Like, they'll tell you that in a minute. God is able. You know how we do in African-American community. <laughs> yeah, that's what they do. So they're not going to take the vaccine. Yeah, so yeah. just go tell you, get some herbs and some tea. But these are real issues. That These are communities that have been been hurt really bad. Talk about the Nazis. America, we've done some terrible things, too. So oh. I think acknowledging that is the first step. Just saying, I, I know why you're skeptical. You you don't trust me, and and I understand why. Just that kind of conversation. Um, and this place isn't a black doctor in there. We don't trust the black doctor either, because we're like, you just tell us saying what they told you to say. It doesn't matter the color of the person you send. An honest dialogue, like just in conversation, an honest dialogue really is how you you change these things. Um, but the powers that be have these programs and systems and integration, but they're missing one key element: people, people. How do people connect through conversation? Just have a conversation. Like, why are you afraid? Why do you want to take the vaccine? Because my granddaddy went to the hospital and he came back dead. You know, those kind of things. And it's probably as a real story. But then what you didn't know is grandpa had congestive heart failure. And he never went to the doctor. He's like, my 87-year-old grandpa, he's not going. So if you didn't know the backstory, you know, oh, okay, I didn't know grandpa had that. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, have that kind of conversation um, to change communities. And, and I'm hoping. That's what, what we're able to do, not just in education, but with communities in general. That That's my hope. So that's I want to read your article, that story about the, the, the boy. You probably hear you credit it. I'll probably be using that again, like blogging or something. Go and for it. be credited for sure. Because um, these are the stories that people need to hear. Yes. They need to hear that these things happen. This is real life. And if we could share more of real life, I think we recognize we've got a lot more in common than we do different um so that's my hope. Maybe I'm just too idealistic, but joy's always been that way. That's my hope. Were you um, the kid that always volunteered to read in class? Ah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't call me out. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> I, I could guess that. Yeah. I love that. So you were always wanting to um, show off your gift. Um, well, not show off, right? Because who, who likes to show off? You, Maybe I think, I think great. more people should show off. Show what you have. Show it off. I, I, I agree with you. Um, but in this offended culture, right? Everybody's so offended. Ugh. Oh my! God. I'm, I'm over like the offended. Right? Yeah. You can Somebody probably offended by this conversation we're having. Like, oh, oh. Oh, I hope so. Grief. Um. <laughs> Well, let me ask you this. I like 
like what that. was your um <laughs> what was when you were younger, like, okay, so CSU was your training ground, but that was, you know, that was early yeah. adulthood life. That was college. Before that, when okay, you were younger, sure. what was like the earliest, um, everybody has like what they want to be when they grow up. I had two things that I could, that, that I had like these dreams of that were sort of way oh, outlandish, okay. but what were yours? Did you have like, oh, I want to totally be this. Yeah. Uh-huh. I had crazy ones. I wanted to be an astronaut. Well, oh, NASA. oh, same, and, same thing. Stop it. Same thing. <laughs> well, we can go to, to the moon. I have that written down. I have it written down. Astronaut. Stop it. It's so funny. What? what? <laughs> yeah, I wasn't. Right. Was no, exactly. Baby. No. 80s babies. Because I wanted to be an astronaut. So then my mom bought me every sign. You know, a Highlights magazine. Oh, yeah. Highlights. I did not yeah. remember Highlights magazine until you just mentioned yes. it. Oh, my Highlights. gosh. So I had my own subscription, yeah. honey, to Highlights Magazine. I'm oh, gosh. Yes. I show you. I came from that kind of environment. Like, okay, you go to be it, so let's do it. So I went to be an astronaut, and I want to be a doctor. You're just supposed to say that. As a kid, I don't know why. A Nigerian kid, you you you, you have failed in life. You're not a medical doctor. Not a PhD. Medical doctor, um, engineer, and then lawyer. Oh, oh my yeah. God. <sighs> So that, your that, first one. Ever so your first one was an change. astronaut, and then a doctor. Mm. That was your other one. Yeah, that's my other. So I want to I want to cover those in a second. But so I'm curious, why astronaut? When I was a little man, a little probably like three years old. That's about old enough to form memories. As early as I could form memories, I would lay back on my front porch and look up, and I make like images out of the clouds and out of the stars and I would learn the constellations. And I remember I just sit and I just peer out of the window and it was very it was different and go into these deep meditative thoughts. And you just a kid. I was so fascinated by by the sky and the sun and the moon and the position of the planets and how they change and the position of the stars. And I was so captivated. I was a tiny little kid, maybe about about three is when when I can remember doing that, and that never changed. I have a telescope now. That's what I bought myself last oh, Christmas. Oh, I love it. It, it. It's never changed. It's never changed. That's always been my core. So it's no wonder that I follow the scientific path. It's just always been this this huge, not even a curiosity, almost an obsession, like a magnificent obsession that the universe is so big. And I want to learn about it. I want to learn what's out there. Not just what's out there, but how am I connected to what's out there? I'm not talking aliens, so I'm not crazy. But I'll, no I don't think aliens are crazy. <laughs> okay, good. All right. Because don't, 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 there are people. Okay, alien, and that can mean different things. And I do recognize that. They can just mean foreign life. I understand that. But I, I, I'm talking about A scientist about would the, say yeah. that, yes. <laughs> yeah, right. I know. Yeah, I have yeah. to. You have to be objective. Sure. Right? You have to be objective. Sure. Um, but I'm not really. It's not true. I'm very opinionated. <laughs> I present myself <laughs> as objective usually. I try anyway. Yeah. I've always had that kind of connection since I was little. I would make up experiments. Um, I was about seven, and I'm serious. I smell colors. I can smell like, oh, this room smells red. It smells green. My mom would, my mom would be like, child, go sit down somewhere. Like she just got tired. She decided. I've heard of you people. Like, that smell colors. You heard it, girl. But this is true. In one of my magazines, it was, I think it was a Highlights magazine. I read an article. I was a kid in elementary school, and I said, look, mom, it's a thing. 
when your sensory perception crosses, there's a scientific name. So you have people that can taste texture, like chicken has too many points. So you have taste and, and vision that cross. Yeah, it really is a neurochemical crossing. So I, I it's a synaptic cleft crossing probably if you really want to want to be technical about it. Yeah, pro that's probably more like your synapses. So they're getting all, all across. It's a thing. It's when your sensory perception crosses and it's for real. It, you really do smell colors. And since I was a child, I was able to do that. It's a, it, there's a name. If I had access to Google right now, I could look it up. There's a name for it. So I was that person. I would make up experiments to the point. <laughs> my mom had to hide matches because I was always fascinated by fire. But to see the flame, like the blue flame is the hottest part of the flame. And then I'm serious. I would actually be studying these things. I had all these jars with bumblebees. And, but I was learning. I was learning. I let bees sting me to see how I react depending on how they stung me. Now, you know, that's the scientist. Oh, my gosh. That, yeah, that's the scientist. That's just That is totally right. the scientist. Some people say that's crazy, but that's the Well, you were a curious <laughs> kid. I've been that kid, and I'm, I'm still that little curious kid, and I refuse to get rid of that curious kid. How do you, uh, how do you choose in your life throughout what you've looked, if you look back on the things that you've accomplished or chosen to involve yourself with how do you choose those things that are that you're passionate about what what about them draws that to you how do you choose see i would i would i would be a bit of a philosopher and and invert that question i feel like your passions choose you mm. that they're just things that just burn inside of you and they won't quit how many times have you me We've tried to be the good employee, but there's just something in you that won't let you quit. Um, you Even with this podcast, right? That was a leap to just do it. But there was just something in you that did it. Justin, I tell you the truth, there's just something in me. I call it a spark. But then it's branching out, right? Like I have, it's been in my head. And, and I say, you know, this is a perfect time when will we have this much time in an isolated space? Yeah. So I've got to get these books out. There's a book that's been in me for years. I've only written the first chapter. It's called The Cost of a Dream. Cost of a Dream. Mm. If you really want a dream, it's going to cost you some things. We talked about those valleys and those dark spaces. And it's when I expose those spaces. And it is in hopes to, to tell someone, hey, if you, if you really want this, are you willing to pay for it? And if you're willing to pay for it, you can get anything you want in life. If you're willing to do your process and walk out your steps, not emulate because it's not going to work. I can't be you. I could never be you. I could, I can buy mics and I could start a podcast and I can say, oh, we're having conversations. It's not going to work because it wasn't given to me. It's not my divine spark. So it, the book kind of goes in, into that. So I'm getting that one out. I'm finishing the vowel series. I'm getting that one out. And I use Amazon as a platform because it connects to my direct website. It's just easy. And I know that you can do it because you are committed. You've got to be, right? Cost yeah. of Dream. Yeah, Cost of I love that title. Is that a title or that's his first chapter? No, that's the, the title. That's the title. The okay. Cost of a Dream. I love that. started with a youth talk that I gave um, at a church. And I, and I it was like a five-minute thing. And it just it caught fire like crazy. It's kind of like a viral post. You can't make it viral. It is. It's it just is. Because it is. It, it just is. It was one of those things that just... And 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 people were start. They were asking and asking, and and the grownups. It was for youth, but the adults are like, that was so enriching, and that was so inspiring, and it made me want to pick some things back up because I I wanted to do this, and I said, well, I have kids now, I'm married now, 
And that was humbling that something that came out of this mouth made someone want to pick that dream back up and say, I do have the divine spark to coin that term. I was humbled by that. So if there is something that is truly empowering people, I think it's on me to get it out. Right. So that's just the heart behind the books is that these are things that um, talks I've given and, and, and speaking engagements that people have responded overwhelmingly, like almost freakishly. So almost to you, you kind of, has it ever happened to you that you've done something or said something and it took off so big it kind of scares you? Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, it scares you. So it's not my dog coming out there. She's so disrespectful. I'm sure you hear it. <laughs> oh. You hear it? Shake it. Oh yes, it. yes. I recognize that sound. <laughs> Look at her just sticking her head through the through the stairwell. She's terrible, but it's okay. She'll probably jump on the couch at any moment. So welcome Cosmo. Welcome Cosmo. Um. <laughs> We were talking. We were talking earlier about comfort and comfortable, com- being comfortable in this bubble mm-hmm. that we had in college. Yeah. But you had a unique experience of being uncomfortable in a comfortable bubble. So, oh, I like that. That's a block. Oh, we gotta jot that down. That, that's a that's a okay. That needs to be blocked. Uh, I'm writing it down right bubble. now. Oh, that's good. Oh, that that covers so much. That covers so much. You got diversity, inclusion, yes. simulation. That's a lot. And, I that's, like that. and that's what I want to talk about, because um, I don't know. Talk to me. What was your experience? What was it like for you as a black female in a very Southern Baptist white? And env- you touched on that a little bit, but what was? Tell me, what was that like for you personally? Okay, I'm gonna open with a story. Uh, a story. There was a uh, there were a group of girls um, that, that I hung out with in Charleston Southern, and. We were at a restaurant one day, and this particular girl, her 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 dad owns one of those check cashing places where you like three hundred percent loans. Yeah, I used to. Okay. <laughs> I've fallen victim to those before. Who who hasn't? Right. So, you know, typically where they're placed, typically the communities in which they're placed, that's usually stereotype. That that's not stereotype. That's statistics. So, and it, then, then okay, I have a point. Because it showed me where I was. Until then, I had not recognized where I was. Until then, these are my friends. Kumbaya, throw the stick in the fire. Let's roast the marshmallow. I'm serious. This experience, this might have been my junior year, maybe sophomore year, probably junior year. That's when I recognized where I was. So I, the girl just laughs. She, and I mean this hysteric laughter, like tears coming. She's laughing so hard. Like doubling over, knee slapping laughter. So I'm like, oh, a joke is coming. I'm ready. This little old black lady comes in every month to borrow fifty dollars because she's always fifty. She couldn't get the words out. She's always fifty ha 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 dollars ha 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 short on her bills. And by the time she pays us back, does she know how much she paid us back? And then she borrows this same fifty dollars again. These people are so stupid. And she's just laughing so hard till she's crying. And I clearly am on a little black girl sitting at this table at a restaurant. And that's, these are people supposed to be friends, like close friends. Like you hang out with a long time. And I just sat there and I looked. Because I remembered, oh my gosh, I'm getting emotional. Oh my goodness. That, that triggered something. I remember my mom. You know, the check is short. And you got to go down there. I remember my grandma. You know. My aunts, uncles neighbors 
because that's all they can do to keep the lights on. And I saw where I was, that you're with the people who create these systems and they laugh at you in your face. So I want to cuss out, you know, it was a good cuss coming in my spirit. Like it was a cussing coming, but there was so much pain Mm. that I was silent. And what was even worse, nobody noticed I was silent. That level of willful ignorance, he woke me up and it caused me to really make more of a deliberate effort to reach out to the black students at Charleston Southern so that they felt heard. And I learned some things about myself that I didn't like learning. So when I made this deliberate effort, I was on purpose. When I came into the cafe, they created conflict with my circle of friends. I wanted to sit with that group, you know, in the cafe, you have your group. But I say, I miss people's university president. It's my job to know them to know what they're mm. thinking, not just pimp their vote and go back to my circle. So I was sitting on the left. You remember those were the football players? Yeah. On the right, those are all the international students. Yep. And you had the mixtures in the middle. Every meal, I would hop. Mm. And I knew every single one of them before it was over. The football players thought I was up to something. The basketball team thought I was up to something. They're like, what? Are you like spying? Are you going to take something back? I'm like, no, I just want to know you. I take my call seriously. This is not mock leadership for me. These people trust me with the vote. So they're going to take the time out of their day to do this something they don't even believe in, vote for SJ election. They don't even want to do it. So that's some girl with a crazy last name. And they're going to take the time to do that. These football players, they're going to do it. Then I owe them my attention. I owe them my ear. I owe them my heart. I owe them my voice. And it got to the point where when big things would break out, like the bad fights, the bad ones, little, they couldn't handle it. They would call me. I was the only one that they listened to. They're like, you don't know me. You don't know my story. You don't know what I come from. And I never knew they thought I was this uppity, snubby girl that came from money and just wanted to assimilate into white culture. And so when they learned who I was, they didn't know any of these things about me. And, oh my gosh, you this conversation is making me emotional. This is, this is making me emotional. Wow, you're pulling out some things there. It's good to feel something again, right? COVID oh, yeah. makes you numb. Make you feel yeah, human again. Yeah, it's good to feel something. Yeah. Feel that alive. Changed just, yes, it changed who they, they saw me as. And it built a level of support that was humbling. Like, no one was allowed to even speak ill of me. Like, you have these big football players and the whole basketball team. No one was allowed to, to, to bring my name down or... Are you okay? Everything's fine. No, every it, that was the camaraderie that was produced because they felt unnoticed. They felt like they felt like bodies on a basketball team or bodies on a football team. Mm. I didn't know that, and I didn't, and especially internationals. We had one international after nine eleven. He's a tennis player, and he shared how he could hardly even go through airports being stopped as a terrorist and I and and I when I went to meet him he said I bet you don't even know my name and that hurt me because I didn't know his name mm. but I sat there and I learned his name and to this day we're still friends 
so I, I had to grow up a lot by that girl. Because I didn't see a difference until then. I didn't see a difference, okay? And when she did that gut bust laugh, to laugh till you cry, that thing is deep in your soul. And that's when I realized where I was. Mm. That if you're not like me, I don't want to know who you are. I'm just going to say what I want, believe how I want, um, and you must assimilate to me. Otherwise, you're wrong. There's a book I'm reading, Five Choices of Women Who Win by Daisy Osborne. And there's a quote in there that says, you're not wrong because you're different. And that just really resonated with me. You're not wrong because you're different. You're not wrong because was, you're different. Because you're different. You're not wrong. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm always different where in the settings that I am typically. And it makes me feel that, well, maybe there's something wrong with me. Maybe So people don't know that. They say, oh, you're awesome. You question yourself a lot when you're the only one. When you're always the only one, mm. sometimes you can doubt. You can say, well, am I difficult? Am I too demanding? Do I think I know everything? Do I want to lead everything? Well, of course the answer is no, right? But it does make you reflect when often in your settings, you're the only one. I think people like that are just made to create systems. You're not made to be a part of a system. Mm. You're made to create systems. And that can be in business. That can be in education. That could be in policy. There's just something that you, you can't assimilate. And it's painful to go through it. But you were made to create the systems. And um, that that's a part of the book too, Cost of a Dream. So I hope it encourages someone who always feels left out. You, you never feel like you fit anywhere because you're not supposed to fit at the table. You're supposed to make your own table. So I hope it gives you the courage to make your own table. Um, that's just my hope in life, that something crazy that I went through will give someone courage and, and meaning in life. Because without meaning in life, what is life, right? Oh. You've got to find some kind of meaning. You, you have to, otherwise it's drudgery. You talking about your experience in, I mean, you were being thrust into leadership early on in your college career, where you're yeah. also trying to, to learn. So you, I think you had, you were probably felt, did you feel alone a lot? So that's an interesting question because I, you know, I appeared very gregarious, right? I was always in the midst, but I had these bouts of loneliness that I couldn't explain. Like I would, I would sit and cry and it would happen about once every two months. I would just feel so alone. It would just hit me. Not depressed, but alone. And I really think those were divinely shaping moments that when you come away from the noise, you know, mm. and you need to be one with yourself and quiet yourself. I wasn't used to the quiet. Now I'm used to the quiet. I get yeah. it now. I know yeah. why we have quiet to reflect. I, I get into here. I, I know why we have quiet. But I think that was the start of that. And I didn't know that was. So I'm only 19 years old or so. And I'm I'm always in the mix of everything. From morning till night, I'm in the mix of everything. We're talking board of trustee, board of visitors, yeah. alumni committee. I wore suits to class. I was like an employee. We had pagers then. I was the only kid with a pager because they were always calling on me. I remember, th I remember that. <laughs> Stop. Oh, no. <laughs> no, I remember. I thought... I was like, man, Joy, Joy, she's not a student here. She, She's like running the school. I hang my head in shame. Like, no, oh I, you know, but it's interesting hearing your view, your point of view of it, though, because. Oh, um, a lot. 
you're, I mean, I, you know, you mentioned we're, you know, we're both getting near to 40 now. Yeah. But 39. You look at, you look back at that with different educated thinking. But at Mm -hmm. the, at the time, you know, I was thinking, oh my gosh, this girl is this and that. And she knows more than everybody else. She's great. And in a, in a positive way, you know, but of course now being, um, and a mature adult, you know, that can't be true. There was, no, yeah, there no. were things going on in your life that nobody even knew about at all. That father issue. You said Stan was like a father to you. Mm. He, he, he actually was a surrogate father to me. A lot of people know that mm. from the whole, about the whole time I was at Charleston Southern, my dad and I were not even in communication. Okay. It was just not a thing. And at that age, that was big issue because you're 18 right you need your dad to tell you that dude sucks you know you need that you need that a girl needs that and i didn't have that dr parker stepped in and it was it wasn't an imposition he saw what i needed but he no really he was a surrogate father he and kathy uh, would call me their daughter and it was so funny my mom didn't like that she's like you got one mom you know she just mm-hmm. <laughs> she's like nobody knows the struggle like nobody knows <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah but uh so this ex- these experiences of you having these uh being thrust into leadership roles and also learning about yourself and learning about other people at the same time and being your expectations are being driven pretty high and also you were in a place where you had to kind of put on a a show for the for your white peers and all but also try to maintain the integrity of yourself that's a that's duality with this uncomfortable comfortable space and where, you know where you draw the lines so that i assume that these experiences though taught you a lot about listening to others as well as Absolutely. your internal self is that Absolutely. um i'm sure that that led you into your political life too because you were you worked you started working into in politics for a little bit after that right yeah that was um stan parker and stovall waiting who said hey we want to give this kid a chance to soar and now that I, I think more about it i knew but see you can't say everything mr witty and and dr parker because i was an african-american in that environment a nigerian-american it would have been easy to overlook my talent and put a talentless kid with less melanin in the spot. And they refused to let it happen. So that's why they were so into this is happening. Be there. This is happening. Be there. This is happening. Be there. Mm. It was the Dr. Parker and the Stovall witty who really started that. It wasn't the president's office. It looked that way. Mm-mm. It was Dr. Parker and Stovall witty. Mm. they were the ones who opened all those doors for me. And now I get it. You know, you can't say that in a moment because it feels like affirmative sure. action and I don't take charity. So, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, nope, yeah, that's why yeah. you're doing it because I'm black. That's a I fine line. I don't want it. I want to earn my keep. Yeah. They saw that although you have earned your keep, it will be easy for you to be railroaded in this environment. It'll be easy for you to be put on, on the back's burner and they just would not let it happen. They're like, there's a spark in you and we want to train that spark. Okay, and at some point you ended up working with South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham, and I'm curious to know what he was like then when you worked with him, and then who you're seeing as the senator now 
in these times. He was the nicest. Don't get me started. Don't ask me real questions right now. He was the most humble. I'm serious. There are people who put on an act, Mm -hmm. but you know genuine people when you're in their presence. Yes. You know them. Yeah. You can't BS a BSer, I say. So, you know what I mean? Like, you you know someone who's authentic, and you know you're being politic, even at that age. He was just such a a quality human being. I say, you know, I like that man. I was going to go off to medical school, actually. And I said, I don't want to go to medical school. I want to go work in the United States Senate. I want to go work in the Senate, and I want to work for Senator Graham. I'm for real. I just said this in my dorm room. So, so I went and said he helped me. So I said, I want to work with Senator Graham. And he said, okay, I'll make some phone calls. That's really how that went. And so he got in touch with Cinder Graham's office. And I, I'll never forget it. I was in my dorm room. And the phone rings. They're like, this is chief staff, but I won't call his name. Cinder Lindsey Graham's office. And I was like, ah! Like, I was screaming, like, so loud. I said, this, oh, my gosh. You're going to definitely not get a job at all, ever. <laughs> like, nobody's going to hire you. I, <laughs> 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 I, I couldn't fathom that. And my roommate was there. And we just couldn't put that together. Like, we, we were like, what? So they asked you questions, and, and some of them hard. And, like, maybe two days later, you get another call, and they ask you these these tough policy things. And they asked me one question, on which issue do you disagree with Senator Graham? And I said, privatizing Medicare. I don't believe in that. And he's like, oh, that's good, because me. <laughs> it was good. So I said, oh, wow. I got one right, right? So I was just nervous. And um, he, the senator was supposed to be was going to Iraq or something. And I remember, I said, well, do I have the job? Because they ask you all these crazy questions. Do you have the job? And they said, well, he's going to Iraq, and we can tell you when he gets back. And, and I remember saying this. I'm like, now that I see, in hindsight, are you nuts? Well, I have a few other offers, so I really need to know before then. I remember saying that. Wow. Like, are you crazy? I think I might have been insane, like, temporarily. You know, you're so excited. <laughs> your brain just, just like, girl. Oh, wow. You got to wait till Christmas. You just wait. I kind of just get a graduation time. So I said, I have some other offers. So I need no important name. They call me the next day because I remember a little pager going off in somebody's uh-huh. class. And Ashby Hall, I think it was Ashby Hall, yeah. Ashby or Jones. And the prof- I told the professor, I'm expecting a, so just so arrogant. But I wasn't even arrogant. See, I'm going to get a call. I was so embarrassed. I was whispering. She's like, what? I'm going to get a call from U.S. Senate in a little while. And can I answer my phone? You know, you just whispering. And she's like, oh, that's great. I don't know class I was in. But I was embarrassed to ask for those kind of favors. Because mm. I didn't, you know what I mean? I, yeah. I, I, that was, I need to sit in class like everybody else. So I, I, I that embarrassed me. You didn't want to be and further I, detached. Further, 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 further. Yes, yeah. further detached. So you see why some people thought that, yeah, yeah, until they got to know me. Yeah. The call came. And I remember I was in the parking lot. And I remember the call. I remember who actually gave me the official offer. Um, Andrew King, he, uh, he's, he was in the office and I, I clearly got to work with all these people. And I said, well, sir, I am trying to be professional and withhold my screams, but it's safe to say I accept the offer. So I took the offer. And when I got there, um, it was so funny. Everybody in the office was saying, well, we had to just bring you on because Lindsay met some girl at Charleston Southern. He just thinks she's just the world. So it was just so funny. And that's what I remember of him. He, he, you talk about opportunity. Yeah. Cause he knows what underdog is like. He would, he saw the spark. I keep saying that he saw that and he pushed that message to the whole team. Mm. It's like, 
yeah, she's got to go through the process. We got to make sure she's a fit. But she's coming here. We're going to give her a chance. We're going to give her a chance. And so that was the office joke that we didn't have a choice to hire you. He said, hire you. And that's the lensogram I know. So with the current things happen in politics that are so beyond what you could ever explain. Mm. Um, deals are made. Favors are old. And you can kind of lose yourself in that process. So I try to always be gracious to people who've been gracious to me, even when I dramatically disagree with them. Yeah. Like dramatically. Yeah. Dramatically. Dramatically. But the person I see on Fox News, that's not who I know. Off of that setting, I'm telling you, some things are character. I remember when I went in the Senate, anything that I wanted to go to, he yes, he'd let me go to it. I said, I want to go to West Wing one day because he had me at West Wing. And I'm like, oh, Lord, to go. I was thinking of TV show, you know, daydreaming again. Like, oh, to go to the oh, West Wing. Same, same. So I, I just asked him. He said, I'm not kidding, because he always, he never, he walks fast. You got to, like, yeah, come on. And I just couldn't believe it. I'm like, what? Oh, my God. And so I got to go. There was a traffic jam. So the guy driving that time was press secretary. He said, well, Joy can take the wheel to the press secretary, and I can walk with you. He's like, no, Joy, you, you come on out. You walk with me. So we walk you like downtown D.C. to the White House. There are these things I don't even know about. Some kind of cards you flash, and it's just crazy. It's like TV, because I had on a black suit that day and very dark sunglasses. I was a cliche. I laughed, laughed, and laughed. We're at the gates. I always like TV. She's with me. We're going for it. She's with me. And I'm like, this is the coolest thing. I'm trying not oh to scream. Oh, my gosh. I am excited listening trying to this not right to now. Scream. Okay? So I'm sitting in the West Wing, and someone goes, can I get you a beverage? And I'm so nervous, like, um, a Diet Mountain Dew? That's what I got <laughs> in the West Wing. <laughs> a Diet Mountain Dew, yeah. I could have got at least a latte. Like, golly, a Diet Mountain Dew. But that speaks of character. This this kid, right? Yeah. Little black kid at that. The yeah. blackest thing on Capitol Hill. Little black kid. You're going to let her go because you want to expose her to those opportunities. Um, the, the, the White House annual picnic on the South Lawn. And that's the lens. See, those things, and I just hope, and people typically can't do this, if we can somehow mute politicians for a moment and think of character. Yeah, those things show character. Someone who does that, because senators are so high and mighty, they live in another world. They don't make the time for some entry level kid to follow them around. Okay, first of all, they think it's stupid, and you're going to embarrass them. You know what I mean? That's mm -hmm. that's that's how you are typically treated when you just come and just you can come out from Yale. You are typically treated as an idiot. There's this attitude thing. But it was not that. That's, that's just not who he is. So I, I, I sit back sometimes with mouth gaping as well. I recognized him again when he said, count me out, enough is enough, when he said that. So I, I was very hopeful when that happened. But then, as we learned, the hold on the GOP is still there. And I, I'll, I'll, I'll keep, keep that get mild, but the hold is there. Yeah. And so we saw that reverting back, you know, and, and that was hard to, to acknowledge and accept. But that's the Lindsay that I know, South Lawn White House. Um, I'm going, I'm at the annual picnic. And we go there together, and I think he's going to show me people. It was so funny. He's like, all right, see you later. And I'm just looking like, I feel like I'm going to throw up. You got everybody at Rumsfeld. You got the Bushes. You got Cheney. You got everybody. 
everybody's there. Well, I've seen these photos of you, Joy. You have a photo with President, now President Joe Biden. Ah, yeah. You have a photo of President Obama. Oh, that, oh, yeah, that was, oh. You have a. I melt. uh, Oh, oh, I bet. I would have, too. Do you know I had the opportunity, (laughs) I had the opportunity to meet him, and something happened, and I couldn't, I don't remember what happened. No. Yeah, because he came to North Charleston High School when I was teaching there. Or or oh, right wow. or right after I left or something, and there was there was some little opportunity for me to, and something ha- I don't know something fell through and I was gutted. Okay, but anyway, so yes, yeah, so you've had all right. So I've seen these photos around, and that's why I'm asking about how this <laughs> DC journey happened for you. So that's that is a really interesting story. So it sounds Hello? like it's so it's you ta- you keep bringing up character. And this may be an opportunity for us to bring up how perhaps character can be compromised sometimes. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. Because of the weight of the world. And, you know, so speaking of Mm -hmm. these times that you're, you know, you're brought into politics and we've been talking about our theme about uh, um, uncomfortable comfortability or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, So then let's bring it to the current things with when our, insurrection at the capitol yeah i um everybody has their own experience of that viewpoint i am very interested to hear with your experience with senator graham and with the the inside of politics what was your reaction when you were seeing this happen i'll first say I, i didn't recognize that capitol because in our day, like Graham and Clinton, they hated each other's politics. They got along very well. Yeah. Okay. I'm in a GOP office. John Kerry is downstairs waiting on me because I want a photo op. I volunteered. It was on Wednesdays at a literacy program at inner city schools. Ted Kennedy is one of my co-volunteers. We're volunteering together. That's the hill I know. One of my closest friends was out of Clinton's office when Bob stood together. One of Dick Durbin's. We, we did a trip together. That's the that's the hill I know. But hey, you guys, we don't we don't agree on our politics, but we're people. So when this happened, when I say the the visceral tears, like the ones that come deep in your heart, the Capitol is such a sanctuary. With all of our problems, it was here. The executive order called the Emancipation Proclamation, and that's why I am free today. And that that it has such such a, a lofty, almost a reverence to the Capitol. When you're in the rotunda, I, I we were we were speechless. When you see like Reagan lay in state, you can't the magnitude. The, not even the glamour, the glory, not the glamour, the glory of it all. Like, this is how democracy was made. With all of our problems, this is where the civil rights acts were. This is where this happened. And to see that happening, when I say the visceral tears, I mean the breaking of the windows and the defecation and the urinating and the theft and the vandalism. And a noose on the Capitol grounds 
And as a black woman, that noose, that that was a visceral pain. Every black person knew what that meant. Although it was there for Pence, we knew what that meant. Strange fruit hanging from a tree. Mm -hmm. You know that song? Oh, yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Strange fruit hanging from. So that that was a, a, a pain for the black community that most people will never relate to. Uh, we went to through a stage in the South with the Jim Crow where hangings were so normal. You just didn't talk about it. Mm. I know why the cage bird sings in that scene with the hangings and, 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 and the black wall street where just the rumor that somebody had touched a white girl and the rumor wasn't even true. I don't think the government helped burn down the black businesses and do these things. So that's a, so when you ask us that question, that can get really heavy because it means something so different. So take that experience as a black woman. Yeah. Now let's marry that to a Nigerian. I'm an immigrant star. And Af West African, talking about the triangular root, that's definitely my family. Like they were slaves for real, for real. So to see the progress, then see the deliberate effort to take everything back, to take everything back mm. was a pain that was indescribable and it still is i can only describe it in tears and now you take those experiences and you marry that to a heel staffer i know what it's like when those alarms go off and you gotta call your family because you think this is it i know the gas mass experience is terrorizing because everybody's trying to blow you up by every day so i call it the capitol hill fitness plan you always run a like my family, they were so terrified when I was up there because you're always running. So I'm like, I always trying to run a plane into you, blow you up. You can't even open the mail because it's anthrax. It's just so much of that. And so it messes up your psyche because you never feel safe. Wow. You feel like I have a lot of security, but at any moment, somebody can get to me if they really are determined. And you didn't even tell people. I didn't tell people where I worked because when you we were out and about, like, you know, hanging out in the streets and at bars, there would be people who just want to know how to get into the Capitol. So I didn't talk about my job. Like I would make it up. Say so I work with EPA or something. Just make it up. But I wouldn't say the capital because depending on your political leaning, you make yourself a target. So it was a tense environment, yet rewarding. When I saw the capital attacks, I, I couldn't fathom it. You know, it took you, like you said, when you were held at gunpoint, it took a minute to even process what was happening. Yeah. Like, is this happening? It almost like a joke. Like, are they playing? Like, is this a media trick? Are they just going, oh, you little devils, you try to trick us? No, this is really happening. And in that moment, don't you know, a former CSU sent me a direct message on Facebook that this is the media just blowing things out of proportion. And it, I was down, I've been down here all day. What you doing down there? That's my first question. I've been down here all day, and this is peaceful. And what I told her, Justin, you can't say in Sunday school. I did not use profanity, but I gave her a, a civil rights whole lesson. And the how, like, you little white girl, how in the world are you going to tell me that I'm, I am overreacting and it's the media? Like, you are so privileged. Only a privileged person can even say, oh, that's not a big deal. Like, only a privileged person. It's like a fifth grader. Fifth grader has to take a test. And they're nervous. Oh, that little easy thing. I'm privileged. I can say that because I'm grown. I have a whole PhD. But to this fifth grade child whose grade is depending on this, it matters. Mm. So minimizing people's experiences is not how you create unity. So I don't know how in the world yeah. 
she thought that was going to create a unifying thing. Wait, that was important what you just said. Uh, minimizing, say that again, minimizing people's. Minimizing people's experiences. That's not how you bring unity. Like yeah. saying, oh, slavery wasn't that bad. Y'all, that was how many years ago? Yeah. It started systematic, systematic racism. We're, how does something start? A dog used to be a puppet. So we got to address the puppet first. So when you want to know what's happening, you have to look at the root and underlying causes. You can't separate that. You can't separate the, the cattle from the cow. They're the same thing. So if you're going to have this dialogue, you, you can't minimize people's experiences. Like you, you can't. So you have to let them peacefully and honestly share their experiences. And when you don't, is when you get the movements and the anger and the outrage. Um, I believe in peaceful, peaceful protest. Um, but you look at the summer riots after George Floyd, it's wrong, but I get the pain that, that this keeps happening. Yeah. Like it happened to me at a McDonald's, a police officer just rolled up on me about to draw her gun. It was terrible. Then they found out I was the guest about a week ago at the mayor's big event. Guess what the event was entitled? Increasing trust with law enforcement in the black community. Now, ain't that awesome? Oh, my gosh. Now, of ain't course. that a kick of in the Of course. You have also said, and I wrote this down, silence is just cute consent. Wow. Okay, that sounds good. I said that. Yeah. <laughs> silence is cute <laughs> Yeah, you wrote it. Uh, you wrote it in a Facebook post. Oh wow! I think yeah. I think it was uh, in response to a friend that said something. Maybe the same friend. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! I know. Okay, I didn't um, remember that. that, that but I know what you're talking about. Yeah. So we're and yeah, we're talking about racism here, and if you pretend that you don't, you're not aware of it, or you don't have anything to do with it. Uh, I think that's what you were that you, the, in that context. I remember the individual too that comes back to okay. me. Okay. Um, but I wrote that down because that struck me as silence is cute consent. So even though what you're not, though? yeah, absolutely, right. And that's what I and that's what you keep bringing up too about. Um, it's not enough to feel something or feel a certain way or feel sorry for something. Uh, you're using a lot the phrase "do something," right? Isn't that what you're saying? Oh yeah, yeah. I have been saying that a lot. Do something. Yeah, do something rather than. I mean, I think we've been feeling things for a while. We've been feeling it. We've been, we know it. We know people that blank, 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 or we feel this way, but now it's time to do something. Do something. Yeah. Wow. You pay more. That's, you gotta have me taking notes. I tell you, you don't remember things. And I like that because you know, go around quoting yourself. Everybody will hate your stinking guts. Right. Well, this is so an, in, it's an interesting um, exercise, actually, Joy, to do these podcasts because. It, it forces me to do the work, the actual work, to prepare a conversation and get to know things about a person that might be for a wider um, audience that, that, that's listening. But also I what see. it does internally is it forces me to really take a look at the important parts of my friends and the people that I know. Wow. This so, is this is Because you wouldn't take notes about, if you're going to call somebody on the phone, a friend, you're not, you're not going to like, do a study or talk it so it no. it really what i have noticed on a personal level for this podcast is it makes me do the work to get to know a person i have there's work behind it i have to do some research and think about things i'm just educating me on because you say do something 
And my heart was was heavy about the, the race issue. And it's a part of, well, it's not why I'm taking out the project in Yolanda. That's not why. Do, do something is why, but it's not why. You have this project that you're really passionate about with these girls living in East Africa. Correct. Tell me about that. The, the project, the original project is called the Kupata. Kupata project. Kupata means secure in Swahili. So I really want to be clear. Kupata was started by a wonderful gentleman named Mark Franklin out of Scotland. I always give credits. Okay. Mm -hmm. So Mark and I have now connected. Mark is helping me with the logistics, the planning. So man started this project in 2017. Yeah. Kupata. It was brought to my attention, Justin. Can you fathom this? That so many girls in Uganda, like a lot, schoolgirls, we're talking little girls, schoolgirls, have to either drop out of school, so quit education, or enter a life of childhood prostitution, all because they cannot afford the sanitary pads, and that's about two dollars, two U.S. dollars. They can't afford them. They cut mattresses. They use rags and cloths. Think of the humiliation, the embarrassment. That simple simply become that comes with that simply comes with maturity. It's not a body shaming set body it's not a body shaming mm. issue. It's just something that comes with maturity. It's your womanhood. But it's a point of such utter shame and quite frankly, health concerns. Sure. You're using rags and so all these toxins. We think toxic shock syndrome is a thing. Like imagine imagine you can't imagine. But as a woman, you just imagine the the level of, of poor health that that produces. So this is a healthcare crisis too. These girls can't go to school. Yeah, they either have to drop out, miss twenty five percent of their schooling every year, or or they use the colloquial term "sugar daddy." So it's a euphemism for prostitution. And I said, "No, wait a minute. Now nah, we can fix this. I might not be able to fix racism in America today. Maybe tomorrow, but not today. <laughs> but we can fix this." So I said, "Let's start a project." I just posted about it. that's it. I just posted about it and said, hey, here's a problem in the world. I want to be clear. I do not have some fancy nonprofit, no staff, no overhead. This is just joy in the spirit. And I put, quote, do something. So I started the fundraiser. So we're over halfway there now. Just $1,200 U.S. dollars. Just grasp this. This is crazy. $1,200 U.S. dollars funds three schools for a whole year, for an entire year. That's rent for some people. Yeah, Not even all nothing. rent, depending on where you live. We get to fund, gosh, I'm getting emotional, three schools. So that means these girls can get their education all year. That means they do not have to give their bodies away. That means they do not have to enter childhood prostitution and the sex trade. That means they have a chance at a future. Mm. So I cannot believe that something so simple is so profound in the life of so many people across the globe. So that project, I'm raising funds until the 28th of February is what I say. I can't extend that, but it, it should have. I, I want to do multiple donors and not just write the check because it makes it big when other people are part. Because this is going to continue. Um, it is my goal to sponsor those same three schools until those girls graduate high school because that's very doable. And then branch out from there for sure. Like more schools each year, maybe pick up one or two more. And Mark has been wonderful. I have boots on the ground. A colleague now, um, his name is Baluku. And a wonderful, wonderful, uh, sweet new friend. Her name is Peace. And there's a bunch of accountability in place. The project now has morphed into what is now called Girls Global. And so Girls Global will have the mission 
of just addressing the needs of girls across the globe. So across the globe could be be California, it could be Uganda, it could be it could be so that's girls global. That will be the mission now. We're starting with the three schools in Uganda, and through that project, through Caps, and it's free to those three schools. They're going to take um, an e-course, five live e-courses, girls leadership course, global leadership, soaring where you're planted. You don't have to be in the United States to, to soar. They need to hear messages of hope and inspiration that in your community, grow where you're planted, you can make a difference. And so I'm honored that they're even arranging the internet access to bring these courses into their school. So I can't even imagine that. So I thought I was just teaching kids here. And now Uganda's open and Kenya will be open to me probably about the summer, about the summer. Kenya will have the classes. So this is, well, it was just do something, Justin. And that's how this started. You have, co- you have come from this idealist uh, into the stars of being an astronaut when you're a child, being curious about things you don't understand to find out the truth of things. You have excelled in taking opportunities that were given to you to affect others for change, to see the parallels in your own life for how you have um, figured out your own place and your own identity in the world. And uh, I just, I thank you for how you've inspired me when I was in college to see that I could, I can also uh, find my own self. I mean, I think women are also heroes to boys too. So, you're one of my little friend heroes, too. Oh, stop. I told you I'm a crybaby. You're going to mess up my makeup. It's not supposed to come off, though. Well, we're, we're, get, <laughs> we're getting towards the end, so it's okay. Um, <laughs> but um, I just, uh, yeah, so there's just so much that um, you you have so much energy. And from everything that, that you have been through in your personal life and how we have been through as a culture and a society, rather than you have so many reasons to give up on something you have just Mm. chosen to do something. And so thank you for everything that you've done in your life and you continue to do. And the energy is just, uh, boundless in your, in your work in government and leadership and speaking and influence and truth seeking and education. What are all these things that you've, that culminate together what, have, what has it taught you? What has life taught you? And what would you like to share as a last kind of thought about that? We talk of hills and valleys and dark and light and leading on purpose. I, I think that would be my, my final thought. Leadership to me is taking command of your circumstances and growing where you're planted. Leadership is that simple taking command of your circumstances. And they might not be great. I've shared some that were terrible, but you take charge of them and you grow where you're planted. Stop longing for someplace else. I I wasted enough years. I'm sure we can relate to that. Oh, if I were back in DC, if I were back around my friends, that's a waste of time, which is a waste of life. And that's the true waste. Don't waste life. By wasting time by wishing you were somewhere else because no matter what's not resolved inside when you go somewhere you're still going to be unresolved take command of your circumstances and, and grow where your planet 
really, 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 you've got, I, I stand by this. The key for me, and I think the key for mankind, you've got to grasp, because life can be so hard sometimes. You've got to grasp that there is a purpose in my existence. Without that, you falter and you flop and you never get back up. Because why get up if there's no purpose? People who get up have a sense of purpose. There's something deep in you that keeps you ticking. I keep saying it, divine spark. Find it because I promise you it's there. I promise you all this craziness is not for not for nothing. This terrible grammar. Um, I think I can just rest on my PhD to say I know the right words. But not for not for nothing. Yeah. You gotta do that. That's what's pulled me through all these experiences and what's caused me to lead on purpose. And that's to on purpose. Take command of your circumstances on purpose and grow where you planted on purpose. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Joy. And that I, sounds so funny when you say that. <laughs> <laughs> I meant it as a little joke, but yes, you are. So, but thanks, Joy. It's been so great connecting with you again. Um, you were on my list of possible people to interview for a while, so I'm glad that we got this together. Wonderful. Well, it's an honor. When you reached out to me, I felt very fancy. So, <laughs> you are. Yeah, you are fancy. You're doing great things. You're doing wonderful things. I don't tell you enough. I'm very proud of you, and you're one of the very few people who were there for me when I had nothing. I was broke without a job. So many um, stubbed and looked down and, and don't talk to me anymore. No. So I actually had a lot of tears through that. You were the one person who say, hey, I, this is what I can do to help you. And you, you, you never saw me differently because I was in the midst of utter failure and unemployment. And that's character. I talk a lot about character. That's yeah. character. So I want you openly to give, give, give flowers while people are alive. And give them publicly. So I want to openly say that that caused me to see you. I always held you in a highlight, but you just went even even much higher. And I talk about that often because um maybe three people did that. And yeah, I know all these people. Maybe three mm. people did it. Well, you know, Joy, so, uh, thank you for acknowledging that, and you're welcome. I I think that comes from recognizing ourselves and each other. I think so. Yeah. Because uh, <laughs> that's where the connection happens and that's where you help each other out. Oh, that's beautiful. I like yeah. that. Yeah. Something Thanks so much, Joy. It's great talking to you and great connecting. Great connecting as well, my friend. Much love from South Carolina. <laughs> yeah. Received here on the West Coast. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. All right. Good night, bud.